Book One, Sections Twenty to Twenty Two of Against Appion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. Against Appion by Flavius Josephus, translated by William Whiston. Book One, Sections Twenty to Twenty Two. Twenty. This is what Berossus relates concerning the forementioned king, as he relates many other things about him also in the third book of his Chaldean history, wherein he complains of the Grecian writers for supposing, without any foundation, that Babylon was built by Semiramis, queen of Assyria, and for her false pretense to those wonderful edifices thereto buildings at Babylon, do no way contradict those ancient and relating, as if they were her own workmanship as indeed in these affairs the Chaldean history cannot but be the most credible. Moreover, we meet with a confirmation of what Berossus says in the archives of the Phoenicians concerning his king Nebuchadnezzar, that he conquered all Syria and Phoenicia, in which case Philostratus agrees with the others in that history which he composed, where he mentions the siege of Tyre, as does Megasthenes also in the fourth book of his Indian history, wherein he pretends to prove that the forementioned king of the Babylonians was superior to Hercules in strength and the greatness of his exploits. For he says that he conquered a great part of Libya, and conquered Iberia also. Now as to what I have said before about the temple at Jerusalem, that it was fought against by the Babylonians, and burnt by them, but was opened again when Cyrus had taken the kingdom of Asia, shall now be demonstrated from what Berossus adds further upon that head, for thus he says in his third book, Nebuchadnezzar, after he had begun to build the forementioned wall, fell sick, and departed this life, when he had reigned forty-three years. Whereupon his son Evil Merodach obtained the kingdom. He governed public affairs after an illegal and impure manner, and had a plot laid against him by Neriglisor, his sister's husband, and was slain by him when he had reigned but two years. After he was slain, Neriglisor, the person who plotted against him, succeeded him in the kingdom and reigned four years. His son Lavosoarchod obtained the kingdom, though he was but a child and kept it nine months. But by reason of the very ill temper and ill practices he exhibited to the world, a plot was laid against him also by his friends and he was tormented to death. After his death, the conspirators got together, and by common consent put the crown upon the head of Nabonidus, a man of Babylon, and one who belonged to that insurrection. In his reign it was that the walls of the city of Babylon were curiously built with burnt brick and bitumen. But when he was come to the seventeenth year of his reign, Cyrus came out of Persia with a great army, and having already conquered all the rest of Asia, he came hastily to Babylonia. When Nabonidus perceived that he was coming to attack him, he met him with his forces, and joining battle with him was beaten, and fled away with a few of his troops with him, and was shut up within the city Borsippus. Hereupon Cyrus took Babylon, and gave order that the outer walls of the city should be demolished, because the city had proved very troublesome to him, and cost him a great deal of pains to take it. He then marched away to Borsippus to besiege Nabonidus, 
but as nabonidas did not sustain the siege but delivered himself into his hands he was at first kindly used by cyrus who gave him carmania as a place for him to inhabit in but sent him out of babylonia accordingly nabonidas spent the rest of his time in that country and there died twenty one these accounts agree with the true histories in our books for in them it is written that nebuchadnezzar in the eighteenth year of his reign laid our temple desolate and so it lay in that state of obscurity for fifty years but that in the second year of the reign of cyrus its foundations were laid and it was finished again in the second year of darius i will now add the records of the phoenicians for it will not be superfluous to give the reader demonstrations more than enough on this occasion in them we have this enumeration of the times of their several kings nabuchodonosor besieged tyre for thirteen years in the days of ethobal their king after him reigned baal ten years after him were judges appointed who judged the people escribalus the son of baslacus two months kelbes the son of abdeus ten months abba the high priest three months Midgonus and Gerostratus, the sons of Abdiamus, were judges six years, after whom Balatorus reigned one year. After his death they sent and fetched Merbalus from Babylon, who reigned four years. After his death they sent for his brother Hiram, who reigned twenty years. Under his reign Cyrus became king of Persia, so that the whole interval is fifty-four years besides three months. For in the seventh year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar he began to besiege Tyre, and Cyrus the Persian took the kingdom in the fourteenth year of Hiram, so that the records of the Chaldeans and Tyrians agree with our writings about this temple, and the testimonies here produced are an indisputable and undeniable attestation to the antiquity of our nation. And I suppose that what I have already said may be sufficient to such as are not very contentious. 22. But now it is proper to satisfy the inquiry of those that disbelieve the records of barbarians, and think none but Greeks to be worthy of credit, and to produce many of these very Greeks who were acquainted with our nation, and to set before them such as upon occasion have made mention of us in their own writings. Pythagoras, therefore, of Samos, lived in very ancient times, and was esteemed a person superior to all philosophers in wisdom and piety towards God. Now it is plain that he did not only know our doctrines, but was in very great measure a follower and admirer of them. There is not indeed extant any writing that is owned for his, but many there are who have written his history, of whom Hermippus is the most celebrated, who was a person very inquisitive into all sorts of history. Now this Hermippus, in his first book concerning Pythagoras, speaks thus, that Pythagoras, upon the death of one of his associates, whose name was Caliphon, a Crotoniate by birth, affirmed that this man's soul conversed with him both night and day, and enjoined him not to pass over a place where an ass had fallen down, and also not to drink of such waters as caused thirst again, and to abstain from all sorts of reproaches. After which he adds thus, This he did and said in imitation of the doctrines of the Jews and Thracians, which he transferred into his own philosophy. For it is very truly affirmed of this Pythagoras, that he took a great many of the laws of the Jews into his own philosophy. Nor was our nation unknown of old to several of the Grecian cities, and indeed was thought worthy of imitation by some of them. 
This is declared by Theophrastus in his writings concerning laws. For he says that the laws of the Tyrians forbid men to swear foreign oaths, among which he enumerates some others, and particularly that called Corban, which oath can only be found among the Jews, and declares what a man may call a thing devoted to God. Nor indeed was Herodotus of Helicarnassus unacquainted with our nation, but mentions it after a way of his own, when he saith thus, in the second book concerning the Colchians. His words are these. The only people who were circumcised in their privy members originally were the Colchians, the Egyptians, and the Ethiopians. But the Phoenicians and those Syrians that are in Palestine confess that they learned it from the Egyptians. And for those Syrians who live about the rivers Thermodon and Parthenius, and their neighbours the Macrones, they say they have lately learned it from the Colchians. For these are the only people that are circumcised among mankind, and appear to have done the very same thing with the Egyptians. But as for the Egyptians and Ethiopians themselves, I am not able to say which of them received it from the other. This, therefore, is what Herodotus says, that the Syrians that are in Palestine are circumcised. But there are no inhabitants of Palestine that are circumcised excepting the Jews, and therefore it must be his knowledge of them that enabled him to speak so much concerning them. Carolus also, a still ancienter writer, and a poet, makes mention of our nation, and informs us that it came to the assistance of King Xerxes in his expedition against Greece. For in his enumeration of all those nations, he last of all inserts ours among the rest, when he says, At the last there passed over a people, wonderful to be beheld, for they spake the Phoenician tongue with their mouths. They dwelt in the Solimene mountains, near a broad lake. Their heads were sooty, they had round resius on them. Their heads and faces were like nasty horse-heads also, that had been hardened in the smoke. I think, therefore, that it is evident to everybody that Kerylus means us, because the Solimene mountains are in our country wherein we inhabit, as is also the lake called Asphaltitis, for this is a broader and larger lake than any other that is in Syria, and thus does Kerylus make mention of us. But now that not only the lowest sort of the Grecians, but those that are had in the greatest admiration for the philosophic improvements among them, did not only know the Jews, but when they lighted upon any of them, admired them also. It is easy for any one to know. For Cleocus, who was the scholar of Aristotle, and inferior to no one of the peripatetics whomsoever, in his first book containing sleep, says that Aristotle his master related what follows of a Jew and sets down Aristotle's own discourse with him. The account is this, as written down by him. Now, for a great part of what this Jew said, it would be too long to recite it, but what includes in it both wonder and philosophy, it may not be amiss to discourse of. Now, that I may be plain with thee, Hyperochides, I shall herein seem to thee to relate wonders, and what will resemble dreams themselves. Hereupon Hyperochides answered modestly, and said, For that very reason it is that all of us are very desirous of hearing what thou art going to say. Then replied Aristotle, For this cause it will be the best way to imitate that rule of the rhetoricians, which requires us first to give an account of the man, 
and of what nation he was, that so we may not contradict our master's directions. Then, said Hyperochides, go on, if it so please thee. This man, then, answered Aristotle, was by birth a Jew and came from Celesyria. These Jews are derived from the Indian philosophers. They are named by the Indians Kalami, and by the Syrians Judei, and took their name from the country they inhabit, which is called Judea. But for the name of their city, it is a very awkward one, for they call it Jerusalem. Now this man, when he was hospitably treated by a great many, came down from the upper country to the places near the sea, and became a Grecian, not only in his language, but in his soul also, insomuch that when we ourselves happened to be in Asia about the same places whither he came, he conversed with us and with other philosophical persons, and made a trial of our skill in philosophy. And as he had lived with many learned men, he communicated to us more information than he received from us. This is Aristotle's account of the matter, as given us by Clearchus, which Aristotle discoursed also particularly of the great and wonderful fortitude of this Jew in his diet and continent way of living, as those that please may learn more about him from Clearchus's book itself, for I avoid setting down any more than is sufficient for my purpose. Now Clearchus said this by way of digression, for his main design was of another nature. But for Hecateus of Abdera, who was both a philosopher, and one very useful, ill and active life, he was contemporary with King Alexander in his youth, and afterwards with Ptolemy, the son of Lagos. He did not write about the Jewish affairs, by the by only, but composed an entire book concerning the Jews themselves, out of which book I am willing to run over a few things, of which I have been treating by way of epitome. And in the first place, I will demonstrate the time when this Hecateus lived. For he mentions the fight that was between Ptolemy and Demetrius about Gaza, which was fought in the eleventh year after the death of Alexander, and in the hundred and seventeenth Olympiad, as Castor says in his history. For when he had set down this Olympiad, he says further that in this Olympiad Ptolemy, the son of Lagos, beat in battle Demetrius, the son of Antigonus, who was named Polocrates at Gaza. Now it is agreed by all that Alexander died in the hundred and fourteenth Olympiad. It is therefore evident that our nation flourished in his time, and in the time of Alexander. Again, Hecateus says to the same purpose as follows. Ptolemy got possession of the places in Syria after that battle at Gaza, and many, when they heard of Ptolemy's moderation and humanity, went along with him to Egypt, and were willing to assist him in his affairs, one of whom, Hecateus says, was Hezekiah the high priest of the Jews, a man of about sixty-six years of age, and in great dignity among his own people. He was a very sensible man, and could speak very movingly, and was very skilful in the management of affairs, if any other man ever were so although, as he says, all the priests of the Jews took tithes of the products of the earth, and managed public affairs, and were in number not above fifteen hundred at the most. Hecateus mentions this Hezekiah a second time, and says that, as he was possessed of so great a dignity, and was become familiar with us, so did he take certain of those that were with him, and explain to them all the circumstances of their people, for he had all their habitations and polity down in writing.
Moreover, Hecateus declares again, what regard we have for our laws, and that we resolve to endure anything rather than transgress them, because we think it right for us to do so. Whereupon he adds, that although they are in a bad reputation among their neighbours, and among all those that come to them, and have been often treated injuriously by the kings and governors of Persia, yet can they not be dissuaded from acting what they think best. But that when they are stripped on this account, and have torments inflicted upon them, and they are brought to the most terrible kinds of death, they meet them after an extraordinary manner, beyond all other people, and will not renounce the religion of their forefathers. Hecateus also produces demonstrations, not a few, of this their resolute tenaciousness of the laws. When he speaks thus, Alexander was once at Babylon, and had an intention to rebuild the temple of Belus that was fallen to decay, and in order thereto he commanded all his soldiers in general to bring earth thither. But the Jews, and they only, would not comply with that command. Nay, they underwent stripes and great losses of what they had on this account, till the king forgave them, and permitted them to live in quiet. He adds further that, when the Macedonians came to him into that country and demolished the old temples and the altars, they assisted them in demolishing them all, but for not assisting them in rebuilding them, they either underwent losses or sometimes obtained forgiveness. He adds further that these men deserve to be admired on that account. He also speaks of the mighty populousness of our nation, and says that the Persians formerly carried away many ten thousands of our people to Babylon, as also that not a few ten thousands were removed after Alexander's death into Egypt and Phoenicia, by reason of the sedition that was arisen in Syria. The same person takes notice in his history how large the country is which we inhabit, as well as of its excellent character, and says that, the land in which the Jews inhabit contains three millions of Aruri, and is generally of the most excellent and most fruitful soil, nor is Judea of lesser dimensions. The same man describe our city Jerusalem also itself, as of a most excellent structure, and very large, and inhabited from the most ancient times. He also discourses of the multitude of men in it, and of the construction of our temple after the following manner. There are many strong places and villages, says he, in the country of Judea, but one strong city there is, about fifty furlongs in circumference, which is inhabited by a hundred and twenty thousand men, or thereabouts. They call it Jerusalem. There is about the middle of the city a wall of stone, whose length is five hundred feet, and the breadth a hundred cubits, with double cloisters, wherein there is a square altar, not made of hewn stone, but composed of white stones gathered together, having each side twenty cubits long, and its altitude ten cubits. Hard by it is a large edifice, wherein there is an altar and a candlestick, both of gold and in weight two talents. Upon these there is a light that is never extinguished, either by night or by day. There is no image, nor anything, nor any donations therein. Nothing at all is there planted, neither grove, nor anything of that sort. The priests abide therein both nights and days, performing certain purifications, and drinking not the least drop of wine while they are in the temple. Moreover, he attests that we Jews went as auxiliaries along with King Alexander, and after him with his successors. I will add further what he says he learned when he was himself with the same army, concerning the actions of a man that was a Jew. 
his words are these as i was myself going to the red sea there followed us a man whose name was mosolem he was one of the jewish horsemen who conducted us he was a person of great courage of a strong body and by all allowed to be the most skilful archer that was either among the greeks or barbarians now this man as people were in great numbers passing along the road and a certain augur was observing an augury by a bird and requiring them all to stand still inquired what they stayed for hereupon the augur showed him the bird from whence he took his augury and told him that if the bird stayed where he was they ought all to stand still but if he got up and flew onward they must go forward but if he flew backward they must retire again Mosolem made no reply, but drew his bow and shot at the bird and hit him and killed him. And as the augur and some others were very angry and wished imprecations upon him, he answered them thus, Why are you so mad as to take this most unhappy bird into your hands? For how can this bird give us any true information concerning our march who could not foresee how to save himself? For had he been able to foreknow what was future, he would not have come to this place, but would have been afraid lest Mosolem the Jew should shoot at him and kill him. But of Hecateus's testimonies we have said enough, for as to such as desire to know more of them, they may easily obtain them from his book itself. However, I shall not think it too much for me to name Agathocrates as having made mention of us Jews, though in way of derision at our simplicity, as he supposes it to be. For when he was discoursing of the affairs of Stratonike, how she came out of Macedonia into Syria, and left her husband Demetrius, while yet Celereus would not marry her as she expected, but during the time of his raising an army at Babylon, stirred up a sedition about Antioch, and how, after that, the king came back, and upon his taking of Antioch, she fled to Seleucia, and had it in her power to sail away immediately, yet did she comply with a dream which forbade her to do so, and so was caught and put to death. When Agatharahides had premised the story, and had jested upon Stratonike for her superstition, he gives a like example of what was reported concerning us, and writes thus, There are a people called Jews, and dwell in a city of the strongest of all other cities, which the inhabitants call Jerusalem and are accustomed to rest on every seventh day on which times they make no use of their arms, nor meddle with husbandry, nor take care of any affairs of life, but spread out their hands in their holy places, and pray till the evening. Now it came to pass that when Ptolemy, the son of Lagus, came into this city with his army, that these men, in observing the mad custom of theirs, instead of guarding the city, suffered their country to submit itself to a bitter lord and their law was openly proved to have commanded a foolish practice. This accident taught all other men but the Jews to disregard such dreams as these were, and not to follow the like idle suggestions delivered as a law, when in such uncertainty of human reasonings they are at a loss what they should do. Now this our procedure seems a ridiculous thing to Agathaurahides, but will appear to such as consider it without prejudice a great thing and what deserved a great many encomiums. I mean when certain men constantly prefer the observation of their laws and their religion towards God before the preservation of themselves and their country. End of sections 20 to 22